0: Um, If you have your Bibles with you, turn to Psalm chapter 90, uh, verse 12. I'm going to have you turn to two different places. Psalm 90, verse 12, it'll also be up on the screen. Uh, And then also Ephesians chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. Psalm 90, verse 12, and Ephesians 5, verses 15 through 17. I'm going to talk quickly this morning, so uh, hopefully you have... um, Uh, your listening ears ready to go, uh, ready to tune in. Uh, Just as a reminder, uh, my full set of notes are usually available. um, A fill-in-the-blank option is always available at the Welcome Center on Sunday mornings if you like to follow along. And then also in the email that Jen sends out uh, every single morning, uh, Sunday morning, you can get access to my notes as well if you like to follow along that way. Or if I talk so quickly that you're, you're trying to write and you don't get everything, you can go back. Um, that is why that's there. So, um, and I am going to talk, talk quickly today. Psalm 90, uh, just looking at one verse, verse 12 says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. Now flip over to the New Testament, uh, Ephesians chapter 5, Ephesians 5, just looking at uh, three verses, Ephesians 5, beginning in verse number 15, Paul wrote these words, he says, So be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. I want you to zoom in on that first phrase, so be careful how you live. We are in this series. uh, This is week number three of the series called More Than Leftovers. Uh, Really, the the jump-off point of this series comes from Genesis chapter 4, the story of Cain and Abel. And we talked about a heart that is surrendered to God. And we talked about what that looks like uh, to give God our very best. Last week in our finances today, we're going to talk about giving God our very best when it comes to our time. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you that your word is alive, it is powerful, and it still speaks today. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray and I ask that in these next few moments together that you would help me to declare your word with boldness, with clarity, with simplicity, with passion, And I pray that you would help me to speak not a single word of my own, but only that which comes from you. And may these words that that are spoken today, may they convict and challenge uh, each person in this room today, myself included. And God, I pray that it would draw us closer to you, that when we walk out of this place today, that we would walk out of here better reflecting the image of your son, Jesus Christ. Help me to decrease and you to increase and be the focus of our time together, I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, We all uh, manage our time differently. Um, some of you, some of you in this room maybe are really good at managing your time. Maybe you use an Outlook calendar. I use this, this app called Todoist where I can put all of my tasks on and it makes this wonderful, beautiful sound when you click a button and you've completed a task. And I don't know about you, I, I love that feeling. Uh, when it makes that sound or when that task disappears on my app, It is such a beautiful, rewarding, refreshing feeling to know that the task has been completed. Any of you kind of get that same sensation? If you're able to cross something off of the list, you feel good about what you have accomplished. There are things, and I promise you, I've done this before, I still do it today, there are things that I will put on my list that I've already done because I forgot to put it on the list in the first place just so I can put it on and cross it off. Anybody else guilty of that? All right. I'm not the only weirdo. Okay. All right. It brings this sense of, of, re- of reward and accomplishment when we do that, but we all manage our time differently. But here's the question I really want us to wrestle with just for a few moments this morning. Are we managing that time in a manner that honors God? In this series, we are discussing ways in which we can give God more than just our leftovers. He deserves our very best in every aspect of our life. We talked about our finances last week and and how everything that we have in the first place was given to us by God, therefore he deserves our very best even in the area of our finances. It's not about how much we give, it's not about what we put in the, the offering plate, it's all about our heart. Is our heart completely surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? And when it is, then God will indeed get our very best. But the same is true when it comes to our time. And there's really just two kind of truth claims that I want to camp out on this morning just for a few moments that I want to address as we examine this idea of giving God our best when it comes to our time. This first point that I want to take a few moments to kind of unpack is this. The brevity of human life is a realization that we cannot escape. Scripture makes this point very clear in several places. Uh, The psalmist uh, in Psalm chapter 90, some believe it was Moses that recorded or penned these words. But the psalmist notes the contrast here in this psalm between the eternal God and temporary and fragile humanity. Look at these words in Psalm 90. It says, Lord, through all the generations, you have been our home. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world from beginning to end, you are God. So that speaks of the eternality of God. It speaks that he has always existed. But then the psalmist goes on and says, you turn people back to dust, saying, return to dust, you mortals, for you a thousand years are as as a passing day as brief as a few night hours. You sweep people away like dreams that disappear. They are like grass that springs up in the morning. In the morning, it blooms and flourishes, but by evening, it is dry and withered. So what we see in this text is that the psalmist notes that God existed before God even gave birth to the earth. There has never been a point in time when God has never existed. He is eternal. But on the other hand, in this same psalm, in these first six verses, we see these phrases that humanity will, in verse 3, it says, return to dust. In verse 5, it says, we will be swept away like dreams that disappear. In verse 6, it says, we are like grass that springs up in the morning, and by evening it is dry and withered. This psalm certainly speaks to the brevity of human life. We see in Psalm chapter 39, verses 4 and 5, the psalmist and another psalm, David, notes that our days are numbered. It says lord remind me how brief my time on earth will be remind me that my days are numbered how fleeting my life is you have made my life no longer than the width of my hand my entire lifetime is just a moment to you at best each of us is but a breath wise king solomon in his final days on earth he speaks of the passing of generations we read in ecclesiastes chapter 1 verse 4 generations come And generations go, but the earth never changes. It speaks of the brevity of human life. Even James in the New Testament, James is the half-brother of Jesus, and he notes that life is like a morning fog. It comes And it goes, and we've really sensed that reality over the last few days. Um, There has been a fog in the morning, and that fog comes, and then it disappears just like that. Listen to what James says in James chapter 4, verses 13 through 14. Look here, you who say, today or tomorrow, we are going to a certain town and we'll stay there a year. We will do business there and make a profit. How do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? And then listen to what James says. He says, your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, but then it is gone. So scripture certainly points to the reality of the brevity of human life. We also know that even our own experiences testify to this reality that life indeed is short. We all likely know someone whose life was cut short, maybe due to an accident or disease or some other issue. We all know that we have an appointment with death. At some point in time, we will... No longer be and we will be with our Father in heaven if we say yes to Jesus. We are reminded in those seasons that no one is guaranteed tomorrow. Our time on earth is brief compared to eternity in the presence of the Lord. We know that families who lost loved ones on 9-11 or in the Boston Marathon uh, experienced firsthand the brevity of human life. One writer wrote this. He said, Old Testament scholar Peter Craigie explored the Bible's view on the brevity of human life. And at one point in his, his career, Craigie wrote, life is extremely short, and if its meaning is to be found, it must be found in the purpose of God, the giver of all life. And he claimed that recognizing the transitory nature of our lives is a starting point in achieving the sanity of a pilgrim in an otherwise mad world. Craigie wrote those words in 1983 in the, first three, in the first of three planned volumes on the Psalms in a prestigious scholarly commentary series. But two years later, he died in a car accident, leaving his commentary incomplete. He was 47 years old. Craigie's life was taken before he and his loved ones expected, before he could accomplish his good and worthy goals. Yet in his short life, he bore witness to the breathtaking horizon of eternity. He bore witness to how embracing our mortal limits goes hand in hand with offering our mortal bodies to the Lord of life. We know that this short life on earth is often full of up and down moments. And all of us in this room have experienced some of those moments in life. There are seasons of victory that we have walked through, and there are also seasons of defeat. We've experienced moments of celebration and joy, but we've also experienced moments of frustration and bitterness. There have been times of ease where life seems to go our way, but there have also been times of difficulty where nothing goes our way. And here's the reality. Any narrative from Scripture and any testimony from this room will support that claim. This is part of the reality that we deal with in this already but not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. We are children of God. We have been adopted into the family of God, but there is still an element of that adoption that we have not fully realized until we see Jesus face to face. So life is short, and that is a realization that we cannot escape. But the second claim that I wanna hang out on, really, for the remainder of our time this morning is this. How we spend our short life on earth It absolutely matters how we spend our minutes and our hours and our days and our weeks, our months and our years. It matters. It has consequences. It has eternal consequences. Now, there are a few schools of thought on this subject that at least need to be mentioned because they impact this second truth claim. So I want to kind of address a few of those. There are some who believe that there is no life beyond this life. That's obviously not a biblical position. Jesus himself said to his disciples, I am going to prepare a place for you and I'm going to return and receive you unto myself. So Jesus himself said, I am going to a place and I am preparing a place for you and I'm coming back to take you to that place. And so this idea is not a biblical position at all and it's certainly a hopeless position to adopt. Because if if that is true, if we believe that there is no life beyond this life, then this is not a comforting or encouraging position at all because this is it and there's nothing else beyond this life. And how do we wrestle, especially with those who feel like nothing seems to be going their way? There's no hope if that is their reality. Now, we also know that in this, with this mindset, we have to live our best life now. That's kind of the mentality that is front and center because all we have to live for is here. And so we adopt this idea that we have to live it up now because there's nothing beyond this life. So our experience, we experience everything we can We spend all that we have, and we do everything that we can possibly do here if we believe this reality, or it's not really a reality, if we believe this claim that there is no life beyond this life. And if we adopt this mentality, then our single aim is to please self and to gratify our own selfish desires. But what happens is we don't usually consider the ramifications of our actions in this camp, because as long as it makes me happy, it doesn't really matter. Because it's only about this life. But this is a foolish and sloppy and dangerous school of thought to adopt. And I want you to make sure you know me as your pastor knows that that is a foolish, sloppy, and dangerous mentality to adopt. There are some who believe in life after death. And there are variations, but for the sake of our message today, I just want to settle in on the biblical position for just a few moments. And that is eternal life with God for the believer. Jesus made it clear to his disciples there is only one way to the Father. Jesus said in John 14, chapter, chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Scripture talks often about believers living as aliens or foreigners or temporary residents on this earth, and that our ultimate citizenship, it resides in heaven. And so we are just passing through. This is not our permanent dwelling place. This is not our permanent home. We have a citizenship that far exceeds the citizenship that we have here on earth, and it is to reside with the King of kings and the Lord of lords in heaven. And this indicates then that there is so much more than what this world or this life that is short has to offer. And our life on earth may be short, but for the one who says yes to Christ, we do have the assurance of eternal life with Christ. To be absent from the body, again, is to be present with the Lord. And all of us, like those that have even gone before us who have received their, their eternal reward, we are longing for, we are hoping for that day when we too will receive that reward. Those in this camp understand that though this life is short, This life does matter, and it impacts our eternal life. And so here's the question that I want us to wrestle with for just a few moments. How we spend our time does matter. It has implications for eternity, and it will affect our relationship with Christ. Time is a gift from God. So how are we treating that gift that has been given to us by the Lord? We can spend our time living for the here and now and pursuing every earthly treasure. That is one option we have. This is how King Solomon lived the first part of his life. He had riches, he had fame, he had wealth, he had a large family. He was living what we may define as the American dream. He had it all from an earthly position. But as he approached the end of his life and as he reflected on all that he had, all that he accumulated, and how he spent his time on earth, he realized that he stewarded his time in a very poor fashion. The book of Ecclesiastes, if you go back and read it, I think it's like 12 chapters long. You will see it's kind of this... this, uh, this biography of of Solomon's life and he begins to look deeply into his heart and he realizes everything that he ever pursued, everything that he ever uh, obtained or or accumulated wealth and family position and power and wisdom, he, he says it's all meaningless compared to the knowledge and the relationship that he had with the Lord. Earthly treasures are meaningless compared to eternal treasures. These treasures cannot satisfy what our heart's Truly long for. And these treasures won't be applicable or useful in eternity. They are meaningless. Look at what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 1, verses 2 through 8. He says, Everything is meaningless, says the teacher. Completely meaningless. What do people get for all their hard work under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth never changes. The sun rises and the sun sets, then hurries around to rise again. The wind blows south and then turns north. Around and around it goes, blowing in circles. Rivers run into the sea, but the sea is never full. Then the water returns again to the rivers and flows out again to the sea. Everything is wearisome beyond description. No matter how much we see, we are never satisfied. No matter how much we hear, he says, we are not content. He'll say later in Ecclesiastes 5, verse 10, it says, those who love money will never have enough. How meaningless to think that wealth brings true happiness. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 15 says, we all come to the end of our lives as naked and empty-handed as one day we were born, we can't take our riches with us. And so he's just simply saying, all of these things are useless, they are meaningless compared to the eternal glory of being with Jesus. So in short, Solomon notes, That this is not the way to steward our time. We can spend our time frustrated with our circumstances and wallowing in our despair. Listen, frustrating circumstances, seasons of intense hardship and tribulation and even moments of suffering are a part of this short life on earth. And how do I know? Scripture says so. John 16, verse 33, even Jesus said, I have told you all this so that you may have peace in me. Here on earth, Jesus says, you will have many trials and sorrows but take heart because I have overcome the world. What does James says? James chapter one, verse two says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, he didn't say if they come your way, if they just so happen to come your way, he said when troubles come your way, he says consider it an opportunity For great joy. So, scripture makes it clear that troubles and hardship and suffering are part of the Christian experience here on earth. That's why we are still in this already but not yet aspect of the kingdom of God. We've been set free from the bondage of sin, but we're still longing for the day when we will see Him face to face and we will receive our eternal reward in heaven. Living in a state of frustration and wallowing in our despair will not change our circumstances. And it may be a waste of the God-given time that God has allotted to us. Now, our life on earth will continue to experience the consequences of the fall until he makes all things new, until we see Jesus face to face. Romans chapter 8 describes it well. Uh, my dad is presently on Wednesday mornings and evenings. He is going through Romans chapter 8 in his Bible study. Um, I'm going to be teaching a short section on that. Uh, and actually, this section in verses 23 through 25 uh, was working on this week. And this really paints the picture of where we are today. We, we, As believers, we have the Holy Spirit as a down payment, as a pledge that there is more to come. But we still live in this reality of there is still hardship, there is still pain. We're still groaning, we're still longing for that day when we will experience the fullness of that reward. So listen to how Paul describes it in Romans 8. He says, against its will, all creation was subjected to God's curse, but with eager hope, the creation looks forward to the day when it will join God's children in glorious freedom from death and decay. For we know that all creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Verse 23, as we believers also groan, uh, some translations say groan inwardly, that groaning inwardly is not, not this this anxious type of feeling instead it's about this frustration that we have because we know since we have the holy spirit the first fruits of the spirit in us there is this frustration because we know there is more to come so there is this wrestling that is going on inside of us so we believers also grown even though we have the Holy Spirit within us as a foretaste of the future glory. For we long for our bodies to be released from sin and suffering. We too wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as, a, as his adopted children, including the new bodies he has promised us. How many of you are looking forward to that day when we will receive that eternal re- reward, when he will release us uh, from that, that sin and suffering, our bodies from that sin and suffering? He goes on in verse 24, we were given this hope when we were saved. If we already have something, we don't need to hope for it. But if we look forward to something we don't yet have, we must wait patiently. And confidently, so God does not intend for us to use our time wallowing in our despair. Instead, He wants us to use that time, to steward that time, to honor Him, and to glorify Him. What better example do we get um, we, when you go to Acts chapter sixteen? Paul and Silas they are in prison. If there's anybody that has the rights, if there's anyone that has uh, the circumstances against them to wallow in their despair and their frustration, they are in chains. They are in prison. Uh, they could have cried out to the Lord. They could have been frustrated. They could have been angry. They could have been. What did they do instead of doing any of that? They gave praise to God. They they declared His goodness and His faithfulness. Uh, They sang songs unto the Lord, and because of that, people came to know Christ. And so, we need to use the time that God has given us here on Earth and use it for His glory. We can spend our time doing what we want to do and what brings me pleasure. That is an option as well. This might make me happy. It might make my family happy in the moment. But let me just remind us that this happiness is temporary. And it is insufficient to satisfy our hearts that we're created to be with God. Remember uh, the statement that our hearts are restless. St. Augustine said our hearts are restless until they find rest in thee. And and so until we find rest in Jesus, until our hearts are satisfied with the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, if we try to fill uh, that emptiness in our life with anything and everything except Christ, we're going to still be restless until we find rest in Jesus, this type of living And neglects our divine design, which is to please Christ, to honor him, to make him known, and to fulfill his purposes. Our purpose here on earth is to glorify God and to worship him forever. And if we live our life trying to satisfy ourselves rather than glorifying God, then we are not fulfilling our divine destiny. This type of living is all about me and not about Christ. It is a selfish way to live. But we can spend our time honoring God by giving him the best of our time because he gave us his very best. So what does it look like for you and me to give God the best of our time instead of giving him our leftovers? Let's look at the Ephesians 5 passage again, chapter 5, verses 15 through 17. It's on the screen, so be careful how you live. Don't live like fools, but like those who are wise. Make the most of every opportunity in these evil days. Don't act thoughtlessly, but understand what the Lord wants you to do. So what does it look like? How can we live our lives in such a way that we steward the time that God's given to us and we steward it for his glory and his honor? There's a few very practical things we can do. Number one, we should ask God for wisdom so we can use our time best to honor him. Rather than trying to figure it out on our own, let's just ask God to give us wisdom so that we steward the time that he has given to us to honor him and to reflect his glory. Psalm 90 verse 12 says, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that we may grow in wisdom. God promises in James chapter one, he promises to give wisdom to those who ask. If you ask for wisdom, I will give it to you. So let's ask God for wisdom to know, God, how can I better steward the time that you have given to me? so that my time is spent glorifying you and honoring you. There are a lot of things that we can commit to. There's a lot of things that we can do, but are we committing to the things that honor God? We need wisdom to steward that time. Secondly, we must learn to prioritize being with Jesus before doing things for Jesus. When Jesus first called his disciples, you can read about it in Mark chapter three. When he first calls his disciples, he calls them to be with him. And then he sends them out to do ministry. So what Jesus is doing is when he calls us, he calls us to a relationship first before he gives us any responsibility. He wants us to come and to be with him. And as we are with Jesus, as we spend time with him, as we as we foster that relationship with Jesus, it is out of that relationship then that he sends us out to do the work that he's called us to do. But, but we we don't want to mess it up. We don't want to reverse it and, and try to do things for Jesus before we even spend time in his presence, because it is in his presence where we are refreshed and where we are renewed. That's why the psalmist in Psalm 27 says, this one thing that I desire, the thing that I seek most, is to dwell in the house of the Lord forever. And, and the house of the Lord, when the psalmist is writing this, that, that was in reference to either the tabernacle or the temple, the place where God's presence dwelt. So he wanted to be in the very place where God's presence was dwelling all the time. That should be the desire of our hearts. Lord, we want to dwell in your presence for all eternity. So we need to learn to be with Jesus before we do things for him. Before he gave the great commission, he asked the disciples to join him in Galilee. So before he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, he actually invited the disciples to come and to be with him first in Galilee. And out of that relationship, he would then send them out. Look at the text in Matthew, uh, or excuse me, Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42. As Jesus And it will not be taken away from her. So there's this little debate between Martha and Mary. Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's listening to the teachings of Jesus. She's just simply in the presence of Jesus. And Martha's trying to serve and do all of these other things. And and, and she's missing out on the more important matter in that moment. And the more important matter was for her to be in the presence of Jesus. Number three, we must learn to commit every day back to the Lord. He gave us this day, so let's give it back to him. This is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad in it. Every single day, his mercies are new. Each and every morning, great is thy faithfulness. He gives us breath. We declared that in song this morning. He gives us breath. Every single morning, we wake up as another day that the Lord has given us to live, and we need to use that day to honor him, and we need to steward the time he's given to us. So how are you giving your day back to God? Number four, We need to learn to make the most of every opportunity given to us by God. Time is a precious commodity. We all have 24 hours in a day. If I'm not mistaken, there's no one else in this room that has more time or less time. We all get the same amount of time. We all have 24 hours in a day. We can't stretch that time. We can't add to it. Now, I know there's a lot of us in this room. I said it before. Man, I wish I had just another hour. And I wish there were 25 hours. And well, guess what? We would probably mismanage the 25 hours just as bad as we mismanage the 24. So the reality is you and I, we have 24 hours in a day. We can't stretch it or add to the amount of time we have. Our days are numbered, but we can use the time that has been given to us to its fullest to do what? To honor God. Jonathan Edwards, the philosopher-theologian who became God's instrument in the Great Awakening in America in 1734 and 1735, he wrote in the 70th of his famous resolutions just before his 20th birthday, this is what he wrote, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but to improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. He wanted to steward the time that was given to him and use it in a proper manner. This will require some intentionality and purpose. Um, I would say to you and I would say to myself, show me your calendar and I can tell you what's most important. How we manage our time will determine what is most important in our life. What we fill our calendar with will will determine what is most important to us. Maybe we need to start reprioritizing our schedule so it is best used to honor God. God's given us all 24 hours in a day, so how are we using the time that he's given to us? We waste so much time on unnecessary things or unimportant things. We all do it. Sometimes uh, social media is probably the the biggest culprit. Well, we'll sit there and we'll scroll, and next thing you know, you were just gonna be on for five minutes, and you've you've entered into the abyss of video after video after anybody else ever done that before. It's like, okay, I've had enough. I need to put that aside, And, and we've wasted an hour on that journey. So let's not miss out on honoring God, even in the ordinary moments of our day. And that can be as simple as in the car, we turn on worship music and give praise to God. That might be getting up 30 minutes earlier and spending that time in the presence of the Lord and in scripture and in prayer. That might be entering into a season of fasting on a regular basis. And fasting teaches us to be in the presence of Jesus as we distance ourselves from all of those other things that are really buying for our attention. Let's not miss out on that opportunity to honor him. Let's encourage someone, teach someone with the time that God's given to us. Number five, I'm almost done. We must use our time to fulfill God's plans since they are greater than our plans. He says in in Ephesians 5 that we are to make the most of every opportunity and the days are evil. There is a sense of urgency here in Paul's words in Ephesians he is calling for an immediate response of believers to have an influence in the godless world that we live in, to counter the teachings and the doctrines that are contrary to the gospel. So is that there is this call of urgency. Make the most of every opportunity. This isn't just a, well, you know, if you have time, look at your calendar, figure things out. No, this is an urgent matter. Make the most of the opportunity. The time that God has given to you, steward it, because we are in a period of time when the days are evil, our culture is godless, and we need to use that time to glorify him. That same sense of urgency exists today. We need followers of Christ to step up, to use the time that God has given them, to proclaim the truth, to live the gospel, and to be on fire for Jesus. This urgency exists for Paul because he will later write to Timothy a day coming when people will no longer want to hear the truth. We see that in scripture. John Wesley described the Christian's attitude as saving all the time you can for the best purposes, buying up every fleeting moment out of the hands of sin and Satan, out of the hands of sloth, ease, pleasure, worldly business, the more diligently because the present are evil days, days of the grossest ignorance, immorality, and profaneness. We need to steward the time that God has given to us and steward it to bring glory to Jesus. I'm gonna invite you to stand. Don't tune me out just yet. I wanna end with this story this morning. I want to tell you one person wrote this let me tell you the two most important things I learned from my dad says Michael Tate of DC Talk Music Group number one love people that's what he taught and that's what he did he cried with people he laughed with people everybody was his friend He could care less about your race, your nationality, your socioeconomic status, whatever. All he cared about was you and your soul. But number two, he said, live for God and don't get caught up in the things of this world because they're just fleeting. The world will get the best of you if you let it. So we need to truly live for God. He goes on to write, he says, My dad, a preacher, preached those two things his whole life, and those two things have shaped who I am today. He says, I love people, and I realize that life is short. God is real, and that I need to live for him. Michael was visiting his parents in Washington, D.C. during the Christmas holidays in 1997 when his dad complained of stomach pains And Michael took him to the hospital where doctors found the cancer. Michael was there a few weeks later when he breathed his last in February of 1998. And he ended by saying, that man was my hero. Two things, love people and live for God. Don't get so caught up in the things of this world, the things that are fleeting, the things that are changing, the things that come and go. The things that have no eternal significance. Think if we were to invite Solomon, King Solomon to the stage today, that would be the message that he would have for us. Don't get so caught up in the pursuit of treasures and fame and position and power and wealth and family. But instead, make certain that you realize your heart was created to be in relationship with God once again as the psalmist declare the one thing the one thing that i desire the most the one thing that is most important to me the one thing that i seek more than anything else that is to be in the presence of our lord and savior jesus christ church god has given every single one of us the same amount of time we all have 24 hours in a day we all have 365 days Okay, there is a leap year, 366 days in a year. But none of us have more or less time. We all have the same amount of time that God has granted to us. It is a gift. Time is a gift. So the question that we have to wrestle with is how are we stewarding that gift that God has given to us? Are we just giving God the leftovers of our time after we fill out our schedule, we fill out our calendar, we plug in all the things that we wanna do, the things that we have to do, and then somewhere we, we try to fit God into the mix if we have time. If not, we bump him to the next month. Is that how we are prioritizing our life or are we saying, you know what? The one thing that is most important, the one thing that I desire more than anything else is for me to have a thriving relationship with Jesus and for my family, my kids and my grandkids, for my friends and for my co-workers to experience and have the same. We need to manage, we need to steward our time well, so consider these questions. How are we stewarding the time that God has graciously given to us? Are we stewarding it for his glory or are we stewarding it for our pleasure? And then secondly, what things can we cut out of our schedule or move around in order to better use that time to be with Jesus, to bring Him glory, and to serve.